0: Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urasin. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today has been in charge of growth in venture-backed companies, achieving growth in multiple folds. So when it's numbers, he likes to talk big numbers. So it's like doubling, tripling, never enough. So it's fair to call him a growth marketing expert. And uh, so I thought this would be a great opportunity since all my listeners are looking to grow. And here is someone that you can learn from uh, how to achieve that kind of a growth. And when he's not working, he likes to bike around, and he likes playing chess. And what he shared with me was he was number 14 in New York State when he was 12. And and when he's not doing any of those things, he likes watching documentaries. So with that, everybody, welcome to my show, uh, Jake Madoff. Welcome to the show, Jake. I totally well, your chess skills got me all muddled up. Great uh, to be here. here. How Thank are you?
1: you? I'm doing well. We're both in in New York on a very cold day, trying to stay warm inside. And uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully we can, I know we talked a little bit beforehand, but hopefully we can maybe play a game on chess.com or something in the future.
0: <laughs> well, as we record this episode, it's now uh, end of January, 2024. And uh, we are experiencing in New York State, both of us are in New York, and uh, we are experiencing like, 18, 19 degrees, right? Indeed, yeah. Yeah, it's not That's a time long. to go out. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about today is um, something that I always advocate, and frankly, in 2024 now, post-COVID, uh, post-aggregator, uh, frenzy to acquire brands, it's no longer enough to build your Amazon operation, achieve a million dollars or so in sales, and then suddenly you can just float it and make good money. Never, not enough anymore. So what you have to do is diversify. And you need to go outside Amazon, build potentially a Shopify, but really in essence, build your following and have customer acquisition outside Amazon, have your own customer base. And that's where the challenge lies, because where do you go? How do you do it? And how do you do it without getting burnt in the process? Because the customer acquisition cost can be pretty significant. So what we're going to talk about today is diversifying your paid marketing channels outside Amazon. So since you are in growth and you do this very well, tell us, think about someone who's doing his or her Amazon operation fairly well. And now they said, okay, time has come for me to go outside. Where do they start?
1: Um, I would say first evaluate um, what are your currently top performing products? So let's say you're in skincare or apparel, um, identify those top SKUs. Um, if you're already running on Amazon and you have a replete set of data to give you that insight on what your top products are across Shopify and Amazon, um, you can use that a bit to determine where you want to start with, whether that's Google or Meta, you can do a little bit of audience or keyword research Say, maybe if you sell something that's more niche and there's not a lot of search volume there, maybe that means you start on meta if your product is a bit more of a kind of conspicuous purchase. Um, if you have a product that already has a pretty sizable niche, people are searching for it, uh, then I would suggest Google Shopping. So to kind of walk through both of those scenarios, typically products will kind of fall under one of those. Either it's a very novel product that someone didn't even know they needed, and that that works typically better on meta where you can show... Add creative. You can market it a bit more. You kind of create that demand, that demand generation. Um, that's that product. A lot, you know, products will fall under that category. And then your other, your other side are just products that people know they need. They're searching for it, and they can purchase with that higher intent. So once you have that, let's say with Google Shopping. Google Shopping is, I'd say, standardly a first, a good first step for you to diversify out of Amazon. Google Shopping is probably the the closest proximate to Amazon PPC, where on Amazon you're doing keyword bidding. The actual listing of your product ad, those sponsored product listing ads, are pretty similar to the product listing ads in Google, which are those first few in the feed there um, and under the Google Shopping tab. Um, So Google Shopping would be, you know, typically your first spot. And in addition to building a Google Shopping campaign, you want to make sure you have a Google Merchant Center account set up. So in the same way where you have a catalog with Amazon, Google Merchant Center is your catalog for Google Shopping ads. So in the Merchant Center, you upload your feed. That feed contains product title, product description, your prices, etc. And then once that's connected to your Google Ads account, you can run Google Ads. Um, in the form of search, shopping, or performance max. I would recommend starting with shopping or performance max uh, and see what kinds of traffic and conversion you can get. Um, you can start maybe with, I'd go no less, I'd say at bare minimum, 2000, 2500 per month. That's bare, bare minimum. Um, I would try and do closer to, you know, five to 10, somewhere in that range to start to give you a good sample size for the first 30 days. Um, but then, after you know, four to six weeks, you should get an idea of what's performing well, and even you can do that segmentation that you do in Amazon. Where in Amazon, maybe you're segmenting by you know automatic versus manual, or maybe even by you know close match. You can do a type of that segmentation in Google, um, not so much at the keyword level, but the product level, where you can kind of segment out your products and bid differently at a conversion bid level um, within Google.
0: Um, So this is almost like the uh, Amazon uh, sponsored product.
1: That's right. Yeah. Very similar.
0: Yeah. So you are linking it to the individual listings. So for those who have no idea about this, so let's, let's walk that through so that they understand the logistics. So when you set up the Google Merchant Center, so you, you are putting your products on Google and when you click on it, and they place the order the order comes into your online store it has nothing to do with google right correct correct so you would there is no additional processing so to speak the the fulfillment aspect of it the customer service the payments and all that stuff it's all integrated into however you are currently doing business correct yes so how does the As far as the the, the whole uh, tracking of your performance, let's talk about the details. So after covering Google Shopping, then I wanna move on to the other type of product. So let's dissect Google Shopping first. I'm not very familiar with it, so it's very easy for me to ask dumb questions. (laughs) so uh, we can really understand. So on sponsored product ads, you have attribution. So what is the attribution on Google Shopping? With Google, you have a
1: bit more control. So you can create the conversion action. So typically you're, you're connecting it to your site. Let's use Shopify in this case. Let's say your website is housed on Shopify. Um, there are kind of two, let's say three standard ways to do that. One is you can just add in your snippet or your pixel onto your Shopify website. It's a little piece of JavaScript that you put onto your website. The other option is a direct integration with Shopify. So when you, you can add in a Shopify plugin, like the Google and YouTube shopping plugin, you can add that in and it'll automatically create conversion actions within your Google ads account. That'll track purchase, checkout, add to cart and view content. So it'll track each step along that funnel. The third option is you can do manual, which is kind of like the first option I mentioned, but do it server-side, which they call enhanced tracking. Um, But typically, basically in sum, each of those conversion actions is setting up directly to connect directly with your website. Uh, And you can actually adjust the conversion window, that attribution window. So within Google, you can actually say for click, I think it's anywhere from 90 days to one day, and you can adjust engagement from uh, like 30 days to one day, and even view through from like about one day to two weeks around. So you can actually play around with each of those levers to give yourself the most generous attribution window you want to, or what I'd recommend is kind of err on the more conservative side and, and tighten your conversion window to give the most accurate reporting to the platform. Because ultimately, not only will you be making optimizations based on the conversion data you get, but the algorithm will also be learning From those conversion signals so you want to make sure it's getting the most accurate conversion signals possible
0: yeah okay so once you get this going so obviously you are targeting search terms right so for those search terms you're driving traffic to your listing so tell us what are you watching during that uh, first four to six six weeks
1: yeah it is it's a little bit different from i guess it's a lot different than amazon in this keyword case so whereas with amazon PPC, it's very similar to Google search, with Google search ads, you know the standard Google search ads, you're actually doing positive keyword targeting, let's call it. You're uploading your keywords that you want to target, and then you're also adding negative keywords to further refine that list as search terms come in. With Google Shopping and Performance Max running along the shopping feed, it's a little different. Um, There, you're actually not uploading any positive keyword targeting. You're not adding keywords like leather shoes, men's boots. You're not actually adding those keywords. Um, Google reads, scans through the feed, that feed that you made for Google Merchant Center where you added in a product title and product description. Google reads through that whole feed and they determine what keywords they want to show for. So I've worked with businesses where if they have, let's say they, they sell shoes, for example. Sometimes I'll work with an apparel brand where they want to be more branded with it. So even though it's just let's say a pair of leather shoes for men or for women they'll upload it as something like they let's say they called their product you know the Marilyn Monroe boot something like that that's not very helpful for search people aren't really searching Marilyn Monroe boot and expecting to see a pair of shoes like that that's not really helpful you want to name it something more specific and more relevant to the searches So something more like maybe, you know, brown leather boot for women. You actually want to tailor your product titles to match what Google will scan and then interpret as key search terms. So Google will then scan those product titles and descriptions that you write for your products and it will determine what it wants to show for. The two kind of levers that you have after Google determines what your products will show for are the negative keywords, which is similar to Amazon PPC and Google search ads. Uh, and your conversion bid. So similar to a CPC bid, you have those options with Google as well, where you can adjust it based on ROAS, on CPA, on CPC. You can make those adjustments to tighten or loosen your bid. Um, And it, it takes a while because you can't upload positive targeting. It does take a bit of time sometimes for Google to actually identify those search terms that will convert more highly.
0: How much time are we talking about usually? It
1: depends on your budget. Um, so if you're spending like 3000 a month, that sample size of data will take longer to accrue. If you're spending 20, 30 K per month, you'll get those learnings pretty quickly. So you can actually start to make, you'll probably start to get conversion signal within a few days to a week with a smaller budget. It may take a week or two.
0: Yeah. That that gives a whole different meaning to the phrase, time is money, huh? Indeed yeah yeah so so ultimately they want they want you to spend five digits low five digits as soon as possible yeah exactly yeah yeah okay so my key takeaway from what i heard is you really need to optimize your google merchant center contents right yes so let's talk about that uh, a little bit what is the best way to optimize that where because on amazon you're looking at helium 10 and others and and you get the search volumes and things so what is the best way to do that with google google merchant center
1: yeah it it will be at the product title product description product image levels um and also just broadly making sure that you're filling in all those feed attributes so other feed attributes you have in Google Merchant Center, in addition to title, feed, and image, you have to upload the sizing, the colorways, the category of your product. I've came onto accounts, big accounts, where it's just totally mismanaged. They, they're they not filling in those properties. They don't they, they haven't filled in the colorways. these All these feed attributes, that's kind of like an Excel chart that you fill in. They haven't filled in their locations that they're serving. There's a lot of things sometimes that's empty. So the first step is making sure you filled in all of those. If you search, for example, like Google feed product template, you'll see all the attributes that you have to fill in. Um, But at the product title and description level, which are the most important, I'd start with doing keyword research, just like you would do for Amazon PPC, uh, and start to find themes between those keywords that you would want someone to search for to find your business or your products. So once you do that keyword research, you'll find themes or patterns between them, um, either phrases or single words incorporate those themes into your product titles and descriptions so they match the search that someone's coming in for. Um, That is like the single biggest recommendation with with shopping um, on the feed level. Outside of that, once you get a bit more data, it's important to segment out and have a really healthy campaign structure. So like with Amazon PPC where you can choose to structure it by product category, by search theme, by automatic or manual bid, it's important to do that same level of campaign and ad group structuring within Google Ads to make it very efficient.
0: So when you are picking these keywords in your research, what is the criteria? You're looking at again same as Amazon search volumes and things like that?
1: I'm usually using um, either SEMrush, SEMrush, which is a, a SEO SEM tool, or just a Google keyword planner. Um, you can basically upload some source keywords and then they'll generate for you uh, a list of keyword ideas that you can sort through and filter. Um, Those two are kind of what I'm using um, to uh, get my, my core list of keywords or my, my larger list. I'll then filter that down into a core list of keywords. For that, I'll use things like I'll usually create some type of formula where I'll say, you know, only look at keywords that are greater than two words. Usually I don't like bidding on single word keywords, it's just too broad. So I'll yeah. look at keywords that are two to maybe five words long, more longer, medium to longer tail terms. Uh, and then from there I'll drill down by search volume and it also will give me an estimate for CPC. So to make sure if the cohort of keyword has an average CPC of $2 and there are a few of them that are $11, I'll probably just exclude those because it's not worth spending three times the budget on, on that type of keyword.
0: And what is the kind of search volume that you're going after? Because we always say if you find something in 100,000, 200,000, just don't bother. You're going to get lost in it. So what is the right number to aim for?
1: I would agree with that. Um, uh, On Google, they give it to you an exact match, monthly searches. So you know there are some heuristics where you can multiply your exact match by maybe two to four to get the phrase match volume and you know five to seven or even ten to get the broad match so in other words if it gives you an exact match search for like uh you know wooden bookcase and the exact match is maybe five thousand searches you can estimate the phrase match could be five to seven times that amount and the broad match even more so um, there are some calculations that, and it sometimes depends on the keyword honestly that those exact match volumes that gives you are directional. So, but generally speaking, I'm I'm not using anything that's below like a hundred monthly search volume. That that that'll be a bit too low. I'd say the sweet spot is in that kind of high a hundred or low a thousand range. Once you get higher than ten thousand, yeah, it would become difficult.
0: So a thousand to hundred thousand.
1: Yeah, I'd say a thousand to like ten thousand. Once you get above like ten thousand monthly searches, it becomes.
0: A bit more and, and that's ten thousand monthly searches for exact match
1: that's exact match that's
0: right yeah all right good so okay so for someone who's never done it first they have a homework their homework to do to build the the whole content in a way right. that will work and of course while doing that they are picking these keywords that are between a thousand to uh what was it that we said ten thousand 10,000 so, that's right. 10,000. It's pretty much the same as what we usually do with uh, yeah. Amazon. And for exact match. And and Correct. once they have those, they distill it down to what would work and, and then make up their titles and descriptions and then load it up into Google. And the Google will give you recommendations. And then there you can do the negatives and then go from there. Correct. Yes. What about things like brands uh, honing on uh, brand branded keywords, not your brand, but your competition's yeah.
1: brand. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So with conquesting keywords or competitor keywords where, you know, let's say I'm a, you know, again, to use the shoe example, let's say my competitors are things like Zappos, for example. Um, I typically don't see that good performance. It really depends sometimes on the actual product or service being offered. Um, I'd say generally, I don't see as good performance with conquesting or competitor keywords. I typically see better performance just with bidding on relevant non-branded keywords or non competitor keywords. Sometimes it'll work. Like if the, uh, I've had some success with that for newer products, I'm sure like within the food subscription and mattress space, some success where you just have so much competition and the, the comparables are kind of tighter between them. You know, someone who's in market for HelloFresh, you could probably convince them to maybe buy Home Chef also, you know, it's, it's not too big a difference. <laughs> so for that, I'd say like there's some testing involved, but um, whenever I do run conquesting or competitor keyword campaigns, the ad copy is, is it's I don't really do that for shopping, but for search, it's very important. Um, the ad copy where I will be usually the go-to headline I use is the number one alternative. Like that will be my headline. So like, let's say, you know, I, let's say I'm, I'm hello fresh and I'm bidding on the term home chef. Someone searches home chef. I'll say the number one alternative and I'll like bid really hard on that. And that would be my first headline. And maybe I'll pin that as my first headline. So someone searching for home chef will be like, Oh, number one alternative. What's this? And you know, they'll click it. Um, but usually I'm, I'm not doing too much of that. for for shopping
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's true. So I I had this conversation a long time ago. I don't remember who it was, but the the conversation was, okay, would you or would you not include your competitors' brand names in your content
1: Mm -hmm.
0: or bid on it? And the argument is this. So let's assume that you do that and and you have a shopper that's searching for that brand the reason why they're searching for it is because they are either a loyal customer or they're, they're somewhat familiar with it or it was recommended or whatever so what are the chances of them going for your list so very low so that's why it's something that is really not worth your time. However, and this is what happens on Amazon, and I I don't believe that's the case on Google, but you tell me, I'm just guessing. Uh, If, for example, you're selling sneakers and you're competing with Nike and people who searched Nike ended up buying yours, they found your listing and they bought it, and that happened several times, Amazon will index you for Nike because now they discovered that people who, of course, they need to have reviews and blah, blah, blah. So does that kind of thing apply on Google? It does. I mean,
1: there's some algorithmic like smart bidding where if you are optimizing for conversion and you happen to be converting for like, yeah, let's say that term Nike, you will show up more for the terms that you're converting on. Google will show you more for those terms. Yeah, that and
0: happen. that happens under smart bidding.
1: That will happen under smart bidding, yeah. So like instead of, uh, if you're optimizing, sometimes people, you know, this is kind of more of an old school method, but they'll do like manual CPC where they're like literally putting in the CPCs and adjusting those. Um, if you're using smart bidding and it's basically just optimizing for conversion and Nike happens to be a term that you're converting on, even if you're not Nike, you'll show up more for people searching for Nike if people are actually happening to be converting.
0: That's sure. smart. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the ad copy because unlike Amazon, now you have to write the ad copy, right? So uh, if you don't write the the, the right message, people are not going to click. So share with us some tips. I I know you mentioned number one alternative. Uh, So what are some things that people can follow that will get much better click-throughs?
1: Yeah, um, ad copy with Google is uh, very important to make sure it's relevant to your keywords. So whereas with meta targeting, which we'll get into is you can kind of be a bit more fast and loose and playful with your ad copy for meta ads. With Google, you want your ad copy, your headlines and descriptions to be much more similar in theme and congruency with the keywords that you upload. So typically what I do is again to kind of continue with that example of a shoe brand, let's say I sell sandals and leather boots. I'm not gonna do one whole ad group where I put in sandal and leather boot keywords into one thing, into one ad group, and I just have one ad or two ads maybe within that one ad group that has all those keywords. You wanna separate that out. So have one ad group with just the leather shoes, one ad group with sandals, and then you have, you know, maybe two ads in each one that, specific, that are specifically related to that theme. So within those headlines, there is now Google uses what's called responsive headlines. So typically you're uploading between 10 and 15 headlines and two to four descriptions. You upload all those uh, uh, combinations and Google will find the best one to pair. So it'll pair, you know, headline four with headline two and headline seven and description two and four. It'll find the best pairing between all those and split tests, all those variations together. But it's up to you to make sure you're writing those headlines, providing enough copy, but also hitting uh, quality scores. So like I mentioned, one of those is making sure it's relevant to the keywords that are in that ad group. Two is making sure they're unique. So if you're just doing like a variation on the same headline every time, that won't perform well. If you're doing like leather shoes, leather boots, Lace, leather, boots, if those are all your your headlines, that's not going to perform well. You need to add some variety in there as well. Um, And then also make sure it's relevant to your landing page. All those are influenced within the ad copy that you're writing for. So if you're driving to a page that isn't selling shoes or leather shoes or sandals, some if you're just driving to your homepage, your quality score probably will not be that high. Um, So it may be better to drive to a collection page, for example, or even an optimized landing page that was made dedicated for that ad. But within kind of a, that's kind of more foundational information on how to write headlines and descriptions for it. Um, Use those keywords, make it unique, add 10 to 15 variations. Those are kind of the foundation items. Um, Something that I do that is uh, I've seen perform really well. I don't see many accounts do this. So typically when I come in and I do an audit and I, I start with a new business, I will add this in. It's called DKI, dynamic keyword insertion. So it'll dynamically insert the search term. So, for example, if your headline, you can like, it's a little kind of curly bracket code you do. So I'll do a description in my ad like searching for, and it'll insert what the user is searching for. So imagine you type in leather boots for men or leather shoes for men. In your ad description, it'll literally just show up searching for leather boots for men. And it looks super relevant for the user, um, and that is that's a really powerful tool. It'll basically dynamically insert the search into your ad copy, and it looks like it's super relevant for the user.
0: Oh, cool! So it's like walking into a store thinking I, I'm going to buy this, and then the salesman says, "You here to buy this?" No, exactly. Sure yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Okay, that's that's a pretty good tip. Um, so now you've, you've done the, the whole thing and you've written the ad copy. Now comes the bidding. So share with us some tips about bidding. What's the best way to go about it?
1: Yeah, usually I'll start with, so if it's a brand new, let's say it's a brand new account and they don't have a lot of conversion signal yet, um, I would start with maximize clicks or manual CPC. Because you just need, if, if there are no conversions in the account, it's a brand new account you can't start with smart bidding and conversion bidding. You'll just be stuck in this limbo for a while because the algorithm doesn't have anything to learn on. So typically I'll start with manual CPC and maximize clicks, um, which it'll start serving to drive some clicks and you can tailor it. And then within, again, usually one to two months, I'll switch over to smart bidding and use conversion bidding. I'll usually start with maximize conversions so it's trying to maximize the volume of conversions in this case of purchase, and then if I see it's doing well, I'll add in a target cap. So let's say, let's say in order for my business to be profitable, I need to be at a three ROAS, a three return on ad spend. Um, I'll then upload maybe after a few months of running on maximized conversion, I'll say, okay, I'm going to add a T ROAS, a target ROAS on this. To try and acquire a three ROAS and it usually does that over a 30-day period of a, a rolling 30-day period so you need to give it some time once you switch your bid strategy over but that's typically what my evolution looks like i'll start with something click oriented then move to conversion and then usually add a target on that conversion either a target cpa or a target ROAS over time
0: okay so in this case when you say conversion is click through right
1: and in the beginning, it will be a click. And then when I move to maximize conversion, the conversion will be a
0: purchase. So conversion is actually a, a completed purchase. It is. Yeah. I see. Okay. So at the beginning, you're chasing for clicks and then you're switching to conversion and then you're putting a target on it. So it's a three-step three, three step process. And right. how much time? So you mentioned maximum clicks, about two months?
1: Yeah. Again, it depends on budget. I'd say on average, it's usually around two months, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then how about the uh, conversion time?
1: If you're generating um, a healthy amount of conversions, let's say around like 20, 30 conversions at least per week, you can make that switch and maybe only expect about three to five days of volatility as you make that transition period.
0: Okay. So first, shoot for maximize clicks then shoot for maximize conversion then put a cap on it so obviously you are also building up some history of other keywords and then your bidding history and and it starts to optimize so I'm I'm seeing here fairly similar to so what I do is so let me ask you this question it's very hard to answer okay nobody can answer this question it's just based on experience, and and the goal is to set the right kind of expectations. So when they spend money on Google, you mentioned the minimum is like twenty five hundred, three thousand, but really you would like five thousand. So uh, how much can they expect to generate with that kind of ad spend at the beginning and month one, month two, month three?
1: Um, I would say around a one, row as or below. You're you're not going to hit. I mean I'd say again, I'm using probability here just with the the handful of accounts I've worked with over the years. It's you're typically in your first month, if you're a brand new account, you're installing the pixel from scratch, you're you're not gonna see uh, above a one point five two row as you're you're gonna be around one or sub one for that first few weeks. Yeah. And I I, I always say that. I say your first three days is your testing period we're not looking to make conclusions on the data provided in the first 30 days we're not looking to hit performance goals in the first 30 days i always set that expectation month 2 day 30 to 60 then we'll start to make iterations and learning from that first 30 day period and then by by day 90 that you know two to three month period then we'll only be running with our winners like you know if we're running a few different keyword themes to test and then that's when we should start to evaluate at the end of month 3 we've run with our top performers for 30 days. Now let's see what we can do. We've established a new baseline now that we're only running with the top performers. And then we'll try and scale with those top performers and see, do, does our ROAS hold? Does our click-through rate hold? Does our TPA hold?
0: Yeah. yeah. So on month two and month three, your ROAS starts to get better,
1: right? On average, and, yeah. If you're actively managing it, yes.
0: What do you usually, as a just... As your ballpark, what do you get on month two and month three?
1: Um, Typically, it's based on goal. So um, I'd say on average, your standard e-commerce company is looking for uh, around a 2.5 ROAS to break even. And typically, if you're north of a 2.5, you're you're somewhere in the profitability zone. So I'm almost always trying to get to at least a 2.5 ROAS by month two or three.
0: Okay, so you know what I say to my clients with Amazon, because this is at the end of the day, you know what you do. You you don't know until you have some history. And of course, to build that history takes time. And time means money. They have to keep spending. So and a business owner is not thinking that way. Business owners, okay, how much do I have to spend? What do I get for it? So that's what they're thinking. So what I tell people is, look, do not take these uh, numbers to the bank. Do not expect you know, that this is going to be precise, but this is what I always say. First month, expect to get a dollar for every dollar you spend in advertising. Wonderful. On month two, expect to get $2 for every dollar spent in advertising. And on month three, expect to get $3 for every dollar spent in advertising. And and after that, you can expect to make it better and better and better. And if you... Set your expectations this way, then you know. And I say, you have to be spending at least five, $6,000 a month. Uh, so that's your budget. That's your expectation. That's what you have to be ready for. Now, what I am relying on to deliver these numbers, and we always deliver, we always over deliver, is something that Google does not provide. And that's the organic traffic. So because you see what happens, they are actually being set up when they buy into this argument for a complete win on my side, because I am telling them for every dollar you're going to get one sale and for every dollar you're going to get two. But what about the organic? We also bring the organic, right? So that's why this formula always works and always over delivers. So in the case of Google, this is a little bit more sensitive because there's no organic traffic coming unless you're doing like heavy SEO and other social media marketing and things like that, right?
1: Correct, yeah. I mean, branded, again, if you're working for a totally new brand and you know, just kind of bringing their product to market, you're creating that demand. You're creating that branded search. There, right. there isn't really much organic branded search that you can piggyback on. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But hopefully... Cool. You know, if you do work with a brand that is more substantial, that's like you're saying, it's, it's a privilege in a way because if you want to, you can increase your branded uh, branded keyword budget and bring in more conversions as you see fit. You, know, you can take a share of those to the account.
0: Yeah. As you know, Amazon often loses inventory or overcharges fees. With Arti, you can now recover up to 30% of your lost revenue. At a monthly flat rate of only $99 with no commission fees for unlimited reimbursements, you can increase your bottom line. Their automated Amazon-compliant process ensures hassle-free refunds. Visit www.getarty.com forward slash legends and sign up today to get one month free and discover your recovery potential. Exactly. Okay, cool. So all this discussion was for selling on Google Shopping for products that already have demand that doesn't need any education. So let's now spend a little bit of time on the other group of products where a little bit of customer education is needed. And you mentioned Meta is the best way to go. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. tell us, tell us about that, walk us through how to go about that. So again, start from scratch as if, you know, you're not, uh, we have nothing. For sure.
1: And it will it, be, you know, this meta outline will sound, whereas search, shopping and performance match within Google sound similar to Amazon PPC. And when I run Amazon PPC accounts, it's a pretty similar process. Like you and I have even talked about here where the metrics are pretty similar. The timelines are pretty similar. It's it's a pretty similar setup between the two. The Venn diagram overlap is high. <laughs> Within yeah. Meta, it starts to separate, which is why typically you'll see like a, a you know a paid search expert will manage Amazon PPC, maybe some Pinterest, Google. A paid social expert will will maybe sometimes not touch paid search. You know it, it's a it's a different animal. But I, I enjoy doing both as a full stack growth marketer. I, I like doing both. Within Meta, the most important lever is your creative and your ad copy. Um, that is the most important lever for performance. So if you have really strong, compelling creative for, let's say it's a more niche product, like pick any handful of those one-use kitchen products. You know, like this is the the perfect tool to peel an avocado. You know, it's like the, this this one kitchen tool that can only be used for one thing, but you got to have it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Those types of products do well on Meta because you can kind of show like a how-to video, you can put an image of how quickly this avocado can be prepared, whatever. Um, That is the most important uh, uh, lever for performance within Meta. Uh, Within Meta, it's the same kind of structure. You have a campaign, you have ad sets, and then you have ads within your ad sets. Um, The ad sets, you don't do keyword targeting, of course, you do interest targeting. So you're typically picking interest buckets, so things like if I'm selling this kitchen tool, people interested in cooking or people interested in recipes. You can pick different segments or interest audiences. You can also pick a lookalike audiences. You can upload a list of email addresses and it will find people that look like the people in your email list um, and try and find those people. It'll find the patterns between those, those email addresses, it'll match it to users on Facebook, find the patterns between them and then find other people like those users or that share those same themes and patterns. Then within the ads, uh, you're uploading ad copy and ad creative. Almost always within month one, I will run a few different headlines, a few different primary text options, and a few different image and video creative. Uh, And I will separate that out. I will do one ad set will contain image creative and one ad set will contain video creative. The reason I do that is that type of creative responds very differently at baseline level. So uh, that's a very important build that, that I do, where sometimes you'll see people combining image and video, but there's a difference in baseline CPM even for image versus video. So I, I very often will separate them out. I typically find better performance doing that that
0: way. So there is no keyword. There is no nothing here, right? This is no. just audiences, you know, creating lookalike audiences, interests, and and your creatives. It's far less surgical
1: than PPC and search. It's a bit more kind of straight creative, strategic, and macro. And because of that, I see the most whenever I come onto accounts where it's run by someone who's more junior, you can tell immediately because within, I'd say more than search with paid social, it is very much intuition for like you've acquired over the years of running campaigns. You just know how things perform. You know, the timeline, you know, the audiences to select, like I have my go to audiences. I have my go to ad creative ideas that work. Um,
0: So it limits that testing a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So unlike Google, I have spent just a little bit of time with Meta. And one of the things that I found most challenging with Meta, which directly impacted performance in terms of return, those audiences are very hard because ultimately Facebook does not, despite everything that, that they collect and they know everything, still those audiences are not really uh, very easy to get precisely defined for you to target and because they don't have the information that you need in order to go after them. So is, is that something that you've experienced? What is the biggest challenge with the advertising on, on Meta?
1: Yeah, the, the biggest targeting with, the biggest uh, obstacle with, with Meta is um, the tracking is typically very inaccurate versus your source of truth. So uh, Meta loves to take more credit than it deserves for purchases. So if you're running Amazon PPC, Google, and Meta, and you look at your source of truth, there will be times where, let's just say for simple purposes, you're not getting any organic and all of your traffic is all of your pay all your purchases are coming from pay channels. You'll see weeks where on your Shopify website, for example, you only got maybe a hundred purchases that week. But if you add them up across the app platforms, it'll aggregate in sum to like 130. <laughs> and that's because Meta is taking credit for view through conversion a lot of the time. So like if someone just saw your ad on Meta and then they converted you know, in some other way, either, let's say, through Google, for example, Meta will take that credit because you saw that ad on Meta. You can, you can click on it or anything, but it just happened to be in your feed. Uh, it'll take that credit for it. That, that's the biggest obstacle with Meta is the tracking is really not great on it. Um, Post iOS, you really have to do, you have to move server side or API to make that, that tracking more accurate. Uh, after that is really just understanding the, the volatility, and the stochastic nature of the algorithm. Uh, If you make changes too often, it ruins performance. If you increase spend too much over a short period of time or decrease spend too much, it hurts performance. If you are turning off and on creative too often every few days or every day, it hurts performance. It's it's just more of a temperamental account and and algorithm, I I find, than Google.
0: (laughs) So uh, let's... Talk about the, the budget aspect. So again, just like Google, where do you start and and what are the expectations and what are you watching? Like the way you mentioned first maximum clicks, then maximum. So what is the strategy on launching your ad campaign on Meta?
1: On Meta, um, I'll typically start pretty broad. So I'll start with one broad audience, one interest audience, and one lookalike audience. So I'll have one campaign that's prospecting I'll have those three audience, and interest that works, a lookalike, and a broad, and I'll usually have uh, a few ads with, again, a few copy options and a few creative options within each of those, and I'll just run that as a test, and I'll do smaller optimizations within that, that first 30-day period. Um, on meta, I'm never doing anything top of funnel. I'm never doing a, tra- a traffic objective where I'm optimizing for clicks, I'm never doing a an impression unless the client wants it, but that's very rare. I'm always doing conversion campaigns. Um, Mm -hmm. Meta is very, very good at, if you run a traffic objective campaign, which basically means, okay, Meta, get me the most clicks or landing pages as possible. Meta knows exactly what types of users are click happy users. They just love to click on things and they don't convert. So I've seen it a handful of times where again, it's a more junior person running an account or it's an agency that maybe doesn't really have uh, knowledge on, on how to run this where they just have a templated system and they'll run a traffic objective campaign that just acquires clicks, it will always underperform. It'll look really good because the, the, the client will say, we're getting a ton of traffic to the website but no one's converting. And it seems odd or un- unintuitive that if you have so many people coming to the site that they're not making a purchase, but that's because Meta knows exactly what type of user clicks on things what type of user adds to their cart what types of users make a purchase um so i always unlike with with google where i'll I'll transition that bit over time with meta i'm always starting with conversion yeah
0: so is there ever uh, an occasion where it makes sense to run both traffic and conversion campaigns at the same time to drive traffic to a listing
1: I only ever do that if, uh, like I've I've worked with a small movie studio that needed they just because they were recording more top of funnel vanity numbers they just wanted traffic and views to their their trailer for their movie. Um, that's the only time I've ever, uh, like, only if the, in other words, only if the client requests it specifically will I run that type of objective. Even if you run a traffic objective and then you retarget those users, that that also doesn't perform well. It, it's a very bad quality user if the types of users for a traffic campaign. Directly. How about
0: if you are running giveaways and draws and things like that?
1: Um, even then, I, I would try and find some conversion to latch onto. It could even be like someone submitting their email to enter into the giveaway um, or someone filling out a form to, to get the product. I, I would always try and anchor it to some, some kind of micro conversion on the website, a page even something as simple as if you're not a form capture at least like a scroll depth you know optimize for someone scrolling 90 percent down a page if if you can't do anything else
0: yeah well i mean look even if you are doing a draw or a giveaway they have to complete a transaction right so they have to put their name so it's a conversion so can you expect the same kind of uh, return like Google at the beginning one to one one to two one to three does it work the same way roughly?
1: It's pretty similar, yeah. I'd say in the long term, uh, it becomes a little bit different because I, I typically find if you're if you remove view view through conversion with with Meta uh, and you're running both those channels concurrently, you're running Google and Meta at the same time. What you'll start to find is they'll start to separate a little bit where meta will look less efficient in platform and google may start to look a little bit more efficient most of the time whenever i've done like media mix audits where i'm looking at the channels and the attribution between them that's because the meta ads that you're spending you know maybe 50 60 percent of your budget on you're acquiring a ton of impressions and people are then searching for your product a branded search so they're going and converting on google Which is helping google but not really helping meta much because if you're only selecting click attribution meta isn't taking credit for that so typically i'll see google may be performing a little bit better again it it depends on the product or service but for your standard product google may perform a little bit better in the longer run versus meta but you'll you'll get more volume though from from meta and it'll feed google over time
0: yeah and also uh, in all fairness uh, the consumer wants to see the same thing in multiple places multiple times so What is the attribution, how is that set? Uh, If somebody sees a particular ad in multiple places, who gets the credit?
1: It's a complicated math and it depends on if what it depends on the model that you set up. Um, So the default in Google is typically, I believe it's a one day view or seven day view, depending on if you're using GA4, just out of the box tracking. And then with Meta, it's typically seven-day click, one-day view as a standard. Um, So if a user happens to see a Google ad and a Meta ad in the same day uh, within that 24-hour period, but maybe then converts on TikTok, (laughs) for example, you may get three purchases from that one actual real purchase because they saw the ad on Google, Meta, all within 24 hours, but they convert on TikTok. So um, again, it depends on the attribution model you're using. If, if you are running a large budget, if you're spending tens of thousands a month uh, at, at minimum, uh, of course, if you're spending greater than that, this, this applies to you. But if you're spending at least tens of thousands a month on, on spend across your channels, you should probably be using attribution tool like Triple Whale or Rockerbox or something to back into your tracking. Um, if, if you're spending, again, yeah, like 50K plus, 30K plus a month, that additional learning that will come from the software cost it will offset the software cost because you'll get that additional attribution level. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, this is the most complicated aspect of it, right? So you are going advertising on multiple channels and you don't know what is performing. There are legitimate reasons for doing it, you know, advertising in multiple places that don't necessarily produce the conversions that you need, but they are necessary because they help the purchase. So uh, it's very hard. It's a it's a very enjoyable conversation to learn because this is like I said I have my area is Amazon and anytime I got into Google it was not for selling actually when I became a seller it's a, it's a funny story this is way back when I became a seller and my website went live and I turned the advertising campaign on It was, I never forget, 11 o'clock at night, weekday. And I went home. It's like right after 11.30 or so. And there it is. I got the first order. I was so ecstatic. I thought, oh my God, this is going to be great. And uh, sure enough, you know, the cost of my order was $28. My selling price was $38. (laughs) And I immediately became (laughs) anti-Google. (laughs) <laughs> and I became an Amazon seller because there is no such thing on Amazon. So uh, I don't really have a, a, a much knowledge of it. But obviously, uh, since then, Google ha- has released this shopping center, you know, blah, blah. I mean, Google Shopping and Merchant Center. So it's uh, what I don't know. So it was very uh, really enjoyable. And I'm sure our listeners, they, uh, they've they learned a lot. It's a great conversation.
1: Can I ask you before we jump? I'm curious. How do you think? So, in the ecosystem of Amazon search and Google search, the elephant in the room is how AI is going to take impressions away and search traffic away from the search engines, whether it be Amazon or Google or you know any any number, Pinterest even. How do you view that happening? Where like the whole SERP, the search engine results page, is being rethought about because of ai google's trying their version with search labs where you have this you know richer serp i'm sure amazon's going to try something more with their voice assistants where it's skipping the search part what is your read on all those trends
0: so my thinking is this so i look at the the immediate past since jeff bezos left
1: mm-hmm.
0: and there have been some significant changes. So Amazon, generally speaking, Amazon is a very secretive company. Anyway, they don't like to share much. So they have not shared, well, they did not share data until Andy took over. Now, Andy was the the head of AWS. So guess what? As soon as he took over, they completely opened up. They started, like, for example, for, I'm talking for brands, specifically for, for brands. You now have search query performance. You have all kinds. Now they introduced sponsored sponsor TV and they have attribution. They released Amazon attribution uh, for external traffic. They released a brand referral bonus to pay you back. For, so, so there is, and there is, New stuff all the time. They they introduced experiments, they so they have all these things coming out, which is all data driven. Okay. And Amazon Live is not going in it. They have this Amazon Creator program. So there is all these things happening completely, not necessarily search, but data driven. So on the other hand, Google has been Google and is the search company. Period. What happens at Google is expect anything to do with search, not necessarily as data focused as Amazon, so to speak. Of course, data drives the search, but it's all the search. So, so. I'm thinking that since Amazon is the data driven things, they are going to come out with a lot more educated ways of uh, utilizing that data to aid search. And there is one other thing that Google does not have. I mean, obviously I'm an Amazon guy. I'm going to but because <laughs> I know a lot more about Amazon, but the world is going towards video. So utilizing video. So, Therefore, I'm sure Amazon is... going, and, and of course, Amazon is now bringing out all the video. You can upload video on any product detail page and then slow through your competition if you want. Uh, right. But that, that user-generated content. So Google does not have those capabilities as much as Amazon has. So when it comes to product search, I have a feeling that Amazon is going to be way, way better than Google that's my take again I'm, sure. I'm just talking right so yeah. uh, but this this is this is my uh my guess now there is an interesting uh experience i had i'll i'll share that with you there was a meeting in uh, you know we bought in new york city guys so you know a lot of events take place and and hot shots come talk so i had a small event a small like 30 people in a room with the VP of uh, Google who was there to introduce some new program. And me being the e-commerce guy, uh, and this was nothing to do with e-commerce. It was about actually um, those days, it was about virtual events. So uh, so she wanted to take questions and I put my hand up and I said, so what do you guys do about e-commerce? I mean, Google is missing in action. And uh, and they this is after them trying different things. And we're talking like 2000, about 10 years ago now. So she said, you're right. We just cannot figure out e-commerce. We tried. That doesn't mean we've given up, but it's just not our game. So this is coming directly from uh, Google. So, um, I mean, Google is the king in search, period. But because they are the king in search, that becomes being too close to the subject <laughs> and uh, anything new. That's why they are always diversifying. You know, YouTube, on the other hand, is a whole different story. Now, YouTube may actually take, because a lot of the searches happen in YouTube. And frankly, a lot of the search results that render YouTube, people go to YouTube. So, frankly, I'd say Google has a bit of a challenge in their hands for search. Um, Amazon on product search, I would definitely not discount them, uh, expect the unexpected. And YouTube, on the other hand, would probably be up there. And as far as people using AI for search, nah, I doubt very much that's going to replace. It's like, you know, when uh, TV came out, they said uh, uh, cinema is dead. Cinema never died. Cinema never died. So it's still there. So that's my take.
1: Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to hear that that side of it versus like a, you know, a more kind of paid social, paid search. There's a market I'll talk to talked to. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, um, of course, Facebook is another one. Uh, when you couple it with Instagram, now they are threatened by TikTok. But you know who I like? I like Pinterest. Mm-hmm. So I like Pinterest. In fact, I don't know if you know, but Amazon and Pinterest signed their partnership agreement. Oh, yeah. So they have this new thing, So which makes to- total sense. So you never know. It's easy to talk, right? So we'll wait and see, and that's the exciting part. New things come out. and uh, it,
1: it is interesting that every single platform now, Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all launched shopping placements within the last three years. They, they've all released them.
0: Yeah, so. you know, they, they, most of them will go away, and there will be two left. And I can tell you Amazon will be one of them. Yeah. And uh, I don't know the second... Uh, but that's that's what happens all the time. I remember, you know, because I've been with the internet business since the beginning of the internet business. So I know the whole history. And when it first came out, uh, Yahoo was the search engine. And it was not even a search. There was no such thing as search engine. It was a, an internet directory. Yeah, Yeah. No, no, directory. They had 14 categories. You would click on the category. So that's what Yahoo was. And and I never forget, I was in my office at the time in Florida and there was a guy next to uh, my office. And of course, those days, everybody is getting into the search engine business because it's (laughs) now become, search is becoming big deal. Everybody wants to be a search engine. So so this guy uh, next door to me, one-man show. I said, what are you doing? And he says, well, I have a search engine. So I I, I kind of laughed. I said, well, what kind of a search engine is it? Uh, I said, we already have a search engine. You're going to take on Yahoo? And uh, he says, no, no, no. This is a niche search engine. I said, what is it niche for? Uh, adult. Adult stuff. So my point is... And this was Larry Page. Was this Larry Page? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> No, no, it's a, uh, I don't even, it's it's actually an English guy. So uh, anyway, so the point is everybody was trying to be a search engine and Yahoo yeah. was the king and everybody said, oh, you know, forget it. Search is, is over. Don't don't take on Yahoo, a giant and blah, blah, public company. So, but there was, I don't know if you remember, there was Lycos with the dog running around you don't even know. Lycos was a major public company. And uh, AltaVista was the main one. Oh, sure. I know AltaVista, yeah. You remember AltaVista. There was... There was Netscape, Ask Jeeves. No, Netscape was a browser. Um, oh, my God. I did my
1: search.
0: It... Are you listing just search engines? Just search just engines. Engine. Yeah, DuckDuckGo.
1: En- go? I, I don't know when that came out, but...
0: There was one helpful. called started with E. I can't remember the name. And I, I want to say Expedia, but obviously it's not Expedia, but um, uh, I don't remember. It starts with E. I can't remember the name. So there's these four search engines. Well, guess what? Who is around? Neither. <laughs> yeah. Neither, right? It's uh, So what happens is, I don't see Google. I notice Google on a university homepage. So... Of course, you know, I look at it and I'm thinking, stupid people taking on search. But I thought, you know what, I give them credit because they're not promoting themselves as a search engine. And I don't know, I'm sure you know, but Google had a brilliant strategy. What they did was they knew, because what Yahoo did was Yahoo came out and said, we are an internet directory, submit your website to us and then we'll index it, and then we'll do whatever. Google did not do that. They said, okay, in order to be a search, we need content. So what we're going to do is we're going to go grab content first. So they went into universities and libraries. They offered to be their paid search engine on the website. So the SOBs were collecting content and indexing them. That's all they were doing. So then by the time Google was announced, now the search engine is out public for public search. It was already game over for Yahoo because everything was already indexed. Everything that counted was already indexed. So, so that's why I I always talk about this as a matter of strategy startup. Uh, and and now Yahoo is dead. Google is here, and I I, I think that Google uh, has a challenge with product search because of two things. One is, it's the nature of the beast. The second is, what do you want to do when you find the product you search? You want to buy it, right? Well, in the case of Google, it's at least two more clicks. And the whole idea is to reduce the number of clicks. So that's why there are some things, but again, you never know. There are all kinds of things that are happening, and we'll wait and see.
1: Yeah, I think they're, they're trying about it. it's interesting. Yeah, I mean they're they're trying their you know Google Shopping native one where you can purchase like it's you know almost like a massive directory you purchase directly from Google, but it, it's it's a uh, I'm curious how they're going to to start to take even more traffic away from you know branded websites and contain it all within their search engine. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So I want to also talk uh, very quickly about you, uh, which is my favorite part of it. Uh, so tell me about you know how you ended up doing what you are doing. But I want to know right from the beginning. So tell us, where did you grow up and when did you start to show the signs of uh, your current interest and your how you make a living?
1: Yeah, um, it, it happened much later. Um... Yeah, I've been on the island of Manhattan my entire life. So I, I've been stranded on this island without a raft for a long time. <laughs> I, I don't even have a, a driver's license, and uh, I'm, I'm in my 30s, and I don't even have a driver's license. So um, but uh, I, I so I can't get off this island. I'm, I'm stuck here. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so in college, at university, I went to NYU. Um, I studied architecture. Um, that was kind of my first love. So... Um, Uh, I originally wanted to be an architect, um, and uh, I minored in economics, and I started a few companies, um, an e-commerce company and an iOS app uh, during my college years. Um, As a way to try and grow those companies, I realized I have to grow. I have to try and actually get traffic to these websites, to these apps, etc. And through that, I just taught myself growth marketing. At that time, this was around like 2012. Um, meta advertising, you know, Facebook advertising. There was no advertising on Instagram. Facebook and advertising was was in its very early nascent stages. You know, the bigger players were really search and SEO. So I spent most of my time learning SEO and search. That's kind of where my foundation was at that time. Uh, and I really game the system. I learned, taught everything I could know, and I was competing with significant websites uh, at that time when I was writing these um, when I was creating these articles. Um, I was using blogs to really like drive traffic to these these businesses. Um, and uh, we, t- we ended up downloading and basically leasing the, the it was a trade and barter app called Trademade. Uh, we basically ended up making that logic of what a trade and barter economy could look like in an app form. And we started, like, leasing that to other universities, to other swapping, like, buy-and-sell groups. Uh, so that that kind of turned into that. And then I needed another project. And I then worked at Bespoke Post, which was an e-commerce subscription company. Um, they were a smaller company then. I joined them in 2017. Um, so I was working on my own projects for about five years, uh, four or five years. And it was only me and another person leading growth. Uh, they had, you know, we may be spending... Two hundred, three hundred thousand a month in ads, um, and I was there for five years, leading that growth team with another person. And uh, by the time I left, we were spending like one point five, two million a month in ads, and had acquired uh, hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Uh, and that I, I credit Bespoke Post with teaching me a, a ton of the foundational items about growth marketing. And, and from there, I've I've just been doing freelance, working with other companies, doing contract gigs where I've worked with. A ton of different companies uh, across different industries. Uh, Home Chef, Hims and Hers, Home Nutrition, John Doucet, uh, Trademark Engine, Swift Filing, a ton of different service and and product-led businesses. And it's been really interesting.
0: I have a question for you. I mean, you help companies, you know, achieve high growth. Why not start the company yourself, a brand, and then grow that?
1: I did. uh, I mean, the The website, the blogs that I created are actually still, they're still on, they're still indexing. They still bring me a little bit of affiliate revenue uh, every month. So those are actually still live. I just haven't touched them in years, but they're still indexing for some searches. <laughs> they're, they're out there on the internet. Um, but I just don't have, after, like with Trademade, um, it was me and my co-founder. We had a team of about 10 people. Um, it just wasn't. I, I really am like more of a kind of siloed worker. I, I do prefer just staying in, in my own zone and working. I, I don't really enjoy, I've learned over time, I don't really enjoy managing a big team. Um, so this kind of more contract life where I work with a number of businesses, I come in kind of as that growth leader, growth expert. It just kind of better fits my my personality.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you didn't mention something that I learned about actually i knew about it myself uh, it's it's two different types of people people who work on things people who work with things mm-hmm. you are someone who works on things but working with products being a merchandise person I, i'm sure you run into a lot of people especially in in manhattan uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, they get high on, oh, create a product this way, then that way, and it does this and comes in these colors and then does this and and uh, that they can't wait to get tangible and create something and then sell so many units of it. That never appealed to me. That's why I stayed in technology and I stayed on the service side, even though I was a seller for nine years. We carried Uh, 5,000 unique SKUs and 1,500 unique brands and we were doing 2,000 orders a day. Uh, And I set up the entire distribution myself and I just could not wait to get out of it because it's dealing with people and inventory and it just becomes minutia. I was more interested in uh, the algorithms to replenish the inventory (laughs) and let alone, you know, deal with the, the haggling and the, the, you know, the trying to source it. And, and those things didn't really appeal to me. Uh, so uh, I get the feeling you also like to work with, you know, on things, not with. I, things. I,
1: I would totally agree. Yeah. I'm, I've always been more of a systems person versus like a, an object person, I guess you could say. Um, I, I enjoy more like trying to find efficiencies in systems and building a systems. Versus building objects or like, or the thing itself. Um, So that, I mean, that's another interest I would say is like, I really enjoy, um, I I think pattern recognition is like a core part of of any systems or analytical brain is you need to be good at pattern recognition. Um, chess, that's kind of whenever I did like those childhood assessments, whenever my parents put me in like those assessments to figure out where I, I ranked, um, uh, my my pattern recognition skill would be would be really high, so I'd be in like you know a, a pretty uh, high percentile for pattern recognition. And I think today that probably you know, a lot of these systems are basically just looking at patterns between ad creative or themes and keywords, or for just the raw raw metrics. But I, I really enjoy do enjoy looking at uh, like stock charts as well, um, and uh, trying to build like automated trading systems. Uh, I really mm-hmm. enjoy that. Uh, it's more of just a hobby currently, but um you know that's that's a you know a cerebral network where you can look at a tons of different ways of slicing patterns. so um i I, I totally agree. I, I am more of a systems person than an yeah.
0: well, I mean that that's my uh, in, that's my degree uh, in automation. that's what I did. So when I was a seller, I created this algorithm and the algorithm collected data and then I Pre-configured a lot of different scenarios, a zillion of them. And then for each scenario, I had predetermined actions, and I automated the whole damn thing. So yeah. uh, that's what I uh, was really attracted to. We even have we we even gave it a name, and it was like a pretty signature. Uh, invention so to speak and to this day in my SaaS platform we use that methodology so those things appealed to me more Uh, so in fact my very first and I didn't know I was a systems guy you know I just was uh, educated and uh, my very first job they coined a phrase after me uh, in terms of what I would say whenever I saw something that I didn't like you screwed up the system (laughs) (laughs) Because I was so systems-oriented. I don't mean like computer system, like systems. They set up a system yeah. for everything, and they had to have a system. So I was always, "Oh, you screwed up the system, you screwed up the system. <laughs> I totally I like did. The great conversation, uh, Jake. This is uh, the kind of stuff I can go on forever. So uh, but, uh, let's share your contact information. Uh, tell yeah. us, how can people reach you and, uh, and contact?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and yes, it's been it's been a pleasure. Hopefully we can do this again and maybe confirm or, or reject some of the, the hypotheses that we made over uh, AI in, in the coming really? months. Years. But um, yeah, you can find me again. My name is Jake Madoff. If you search my name, you'll see my website. It's jakemadoff.io. Uh, feel free to get in touch. Happy to help with uh, anything, you know, page social, page search related if you're looking to grow your business. And uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn too. If you just search my name, you'll see me come up.
0: Great A great conversation, very knowledgeable. I, I'm sure you'll hear from people, especially those manufacturers that are looking to expand their distribution. You, you are the guy that, that they need. So um, thank you, Jake. Uh, thank you for being here. And uh, hope to see you again soon. Of course. Thank you. Before you go, make sure to sign up with Arty and claim your lost revenue. Visit www.getarty.com forward slash legends to register. You will get one month free and experience Arthi's features. Sign up now at www.getarty.com forward slash legends. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.